Well, hello, church family. Uh, today we're going to go over a long, longer portion of Scripture. Uh, we're going to actually go from Acts chapter 5, verse 12 to 42, which is about 30 verses or so. And uh, as we go over this, this is just, again, a reminder that this is supposed to help supplement uh, our time in God's Word. This is, isn't supposed to replace uh, your study of God's Word, but this at least will help you if you are going through the book, the back, the, the book of Acts in uh, in your own personal devotional time, that you can at least um, you know, grow as I am learning through this book as well. Again, it's personal devotion is more impactful than actually just hearing me teach this. Uh, but I hope that as you learn from these lessons, that you'll uh, find yourself uh, more in love with the Lord and be devoted to life of holiness and that you would use and spread um, the gospel to the ends of the earth, as the apostles and disciples are instructed in the first century. Now, we're a part in the book of Acts where persecution is rising. Um, you recall, back in chapter uh, 3, this is when Peter and John were uh, ministering, and people were getting saved, people that were getting healed. And then chapter 4, the beginning, was uh, they, were, they were brought in by the Sadducees, and they were commanded and they're instructed not to go and uh, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not allowed to talk about the resurrection. They're not allowed to talk about all of these things. But, G- but Peter, at the time, was filled with the Holy Spirit. I said that they must preach this. They're not going to stop teaching God's word. And uh, they were basically, at that time, was given a slap on the wrist. Uh, they were threatened. And then when they went back to the church, back to where, uh, I mean, don't think of church in our sense of like, you know, back in, in like a building of church, they were probably going to different homes as they were sharing about what the Lord is doing. And this uh, gave them encouragement and, and emboldened them to keep preaching God's word. That persecution caused them to, to grow. And, 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 and then there was this, this uh, amazing thing that happened that people were willing to give up everything for one another. Uh, they sold their own property. They gave up away all that they have so that all the needs in the church were met. There was no one in the church that was hungry uh, because they cared for the people in the church. They saw each other as family and they laid down all of their possessions so that others can have um, assistance to be able to live. And then there was this contrast here in the beginning of chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira where, uh, yes, there was... Uh, Barnabas, who was faithful in selling their land and then giving it to the people. But then there was this contrast between Ananias and Sapphira, who they also wanted that type of, well, shall we say, glory and vainglory and the recognition for all that they, uh, uh, that they were planning to give. Uh, but we know that they, what they gave and what they promised were two different things. And we talked about how God hates hypocrisy, that people who claim to be followers of God need to live a certain way so that they can actually obey. Uh, they live a certain way so that it's a reflection of who God is. And then that's um, out of obedience to the Lord. And it wasn't even that God wanted their money. God didn't care about their money. God even said, and Peter told them that, you know, if you, if you kept the money, that's fine. If you didn't give, that's fine as well. Uh, but the fact that you said that you're going to do something and you didn't do it, all because, uh, all under a guise of like godliness and humility and piety, but in reality, they were just, they were just trying to gain something. Uh, they, they were supposed to get, they wanted money uh, for themselves, but they also wanted the glory too. And I said that's how, and I, I said on that episode how it was very demonic of them because that's very the act, that's very like the the work of the devil, which is why Peter said, "Why is your heart filled with Satan? Why has Satan filled your heart?" Because 
what the devil seeks to do is obtain glory for themselves. And I remind us that at, when we do ministry, it should never be that way. We don't want to do things for our own glory, but we only do it because we want to do it for the glory of God. So Ananias and Sapphira both killed for their lie and their hypocrisy. And then the people were afraid of them. And, uh, but instead of the church dwindling, the church actually increased. Now as we move to uh, verse 12 of chapter 5, we see how um, the, the acts of the apostles continue. The, the church is now purified because of these individuals that were um, basically struck down by the Holy Spirit. And, and now the church continues to do what they're tasked to do. Verse 12, at the hand of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. So uh, they just kept going. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And this is a very interesting principle here that they knew about what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They knew about what was going on. They knew about all the supernatural things that the Lord was able to do with them through the working of the Holy Spirit. And they didn't want to associate with them. But uh, they were at least respectful of them. They held them in high esteem. This means that uh, sometimes we think the, the life of the Christian is pe- are people that, that, that should live like the world. Uh, we, in, especially in the last several decades, have, have bought into this lie that as long as we're like the world, that we can win the world. Not realizing that being like the world makes us like the world. We, we are transformed into their world, into their culture. I was listening to someone talk about this as a Catholic and a Protestant discussing about how, you know, they're obviously different sides, but they at least agreed that uh, Christians and Catholics are ineffective because there's nothing that distinguishes them uh, from the rest of the world. Uh, That that somewhere along the lines that, uh, that, you know, Christendom has bought into being like the world and that made people have a lesser respect of of the church. But here, back in the book of Acts, they were holy, and then they were, uh, uh, they were living out the truth. They loved each other. They loved other people. They, they healed everyone because God told them to. And you know, it was terrifying to them, but at least they respected them. And I think that's a, a very good, something for us to think about. Is our lives in such a way that they don't want to associate with us because of how holy we are? But at least they at least respect us for how we live our life. Um, and, you know, if you ever evangelize to non-Christians, um, you'll find that if you um, live a holy life in your workplace or at home and you have non-believing relatives or co-workers, if you actually live an upright life, when you share the gospel, they might not want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ, but they cannot take shots at you because of how you live your life. Uh, they at least respect your hard work. They respect your piety. They respect your holiness. They, they respect your devotion to the Lord. Whenever people make compromises, it may feel like you're being accepted, but in their own hearts, in the non-believer's heart, they're looking at you thinking, well, you're no different from me anyway, so why do I need Christianity? That means that they don't hold you or your faith to high esteem. And we need to be like the apostles of the uh, disciples in the early century, where we live holy lives in a way that's so distinct that even though the world doesn't like us or even want to associate with us, they at least have to, at minimum, respect us for willing to live this way. Verse 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly adding to their number. So you see here, that's like the, the purity of the church is what brings people to the church. It's not some sort of uh, amazing uh, evangelical um, thought or idea. It's not some 
some tips and tricks that you can do to win people. It's just living out the truth and speaking the truth in love to other people. Um, verse 15, to such extent that they e even carried out sick, uh, the sick out into the street and laid them on the cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least a shadow fall on any, uh, might fall on uh, any one of them. So this is a very weird passage. I think sometimes people think like, oh, see, the, the apostles are so unique that the, the, when they walk by a shadow of someone, then that must mean that like, oh, they're going to be healed. And this isn't actually what the text is saying. The, the text is not saying that Peter healed people. It's that they were thinking that Peter was going to heal people. That's it. That's it. It says here that they, uh, the, his shadow might fall upon them, thinking, because in the time, in that cultural setting, Whenever someone's shadow, especially a prominent figure, walks by, they think that by and by going near their shadow or under the shadow, it, it meant that uh, they're going to be blessed by them. So they're hoping to bring pe uh, bodies all over the place. So when Peter walks by, then the people get healed. Um, I don't think that's what happened here, um, but I, that's what the people believed. They had some pagan or cultural reference to this, and they try to they assume that well, Christianity was just like any other cult. So we'll just do what the other cults are doing, therefore uh, um, God will heal them. But that is not the case. Uh, you know, even the case with the lame man back in chapter 3, the reason why he was healed is because of the faith that he had. Uh, it's, it explained that he heard what the disciples he believed and he was able to walk. So it wasn't so much that um, he was healed just mainly because he was just walking by, but that people believed and then the whole, and then the whole Spirit worked in their life and they were healed. Verse 16, also the, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming to, uh, together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. So this is a fulfillment all the way back from chapter 1, where uh, Christ tells them that you're going to share the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and all the rest of the earth. People are now coming in, not for uh, the Old Testament way of like you know Israel to, uh, you know, um, because it's uh, that's how they did evangelism back in the Old Testament. Rather, they're going to the church. They're going to uh, believers, and they want to know um, how to get healed. And this is, they, they were not being healed in the temple. They're not being healed by the Jews. They're being healed by the, the disciples of Jesus Christ. So they're fulfilling this task by faithfully living out God's word. And you'll find that in our lifetime, when there's a, an, whenever there's some sort of cataclysmic event, you'll see that on our YouTube uh, page or even um, just regular Sunday attendance, it'll, there'll be a lot more people. Um, it's because something about calamity and trials forces people to deal with the reality of death. And the people here, they, they were dealing with afflictions all the time. They wanted to know, how can I uh, get rid of this? Or how can I deal with this? How can I think through this? And they, went, they, they sought answers by going to the, the disciples and apostles. And obviously they were healed um, from all their affliction. And, this, and it was a means by which uh, God wants them to authenticate that He is the one true God. It's not the, all these other polytheistic uh, gods in the culture at the time, but rather it's only through Him and Him alone. Verse 17, But the high priest rose along with all his associates, that is the sect of Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. You see, you notice that this word filled shows up multiple times. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, or some that were filled with the devil. In this case, they were filled with jealousy. Uh, they were jealous because they, you know, they were going to Jesus, they were going to disciples. They were essentially losing a... Uh, their influence and uh, um, power over the people. Uh, they wanted authority, they craved um, um, power and, and attention uh, and glory, and the Lord was using the disciples and really pulled that away. And they were filled with that type of jealousy. You know, and which is weird, because you think that if people are healing people, that you would want that to happen. You would want people to get better. 
But the Sadducees would rather have oppression of people with their religious laws and tasks than for people to actually get better. Verse 18, Then uh, they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of his life. So, uh, which this part's very interesting. So they throw them in jail, and then they thought, okay, well, they're, they're, they're not going to come out. Uh, you know, to stop the gospel from spreading. And the angels came and opened, uh, unlocked the gate. Of course, the irony of all of this is that the Sadducees didn't believe in angels. So the fact that I think Luke put this in here is that um, it's, it's, it's supposed to show how ineffective the Sadducees are, both in their attempt to lock up the gospel and also in their, in their theology as well, that they, they deny the thing and the thing that's actually working in, um, against them. In this case, it's angels. Verse 20, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of, of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered in the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now the high priest and his count associates came. They called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison, prison house for them to be brought. The officer who did, not, um, who did not find them in the prison, they were returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the door. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now, this is not a magic trick, though, that, that I would imagine that's how uh, they were, like, shocked by. They didn't understand what was going on. The locks were there. The guard was there. Somehow they were not there. It was unexplained. So, you know, when you think about the scene with the angels, it's, 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 it's beyond human reason how the angels were able to do this. But somehow the apostles were able to leave. Um, and they didn't know. They didn't understand what was going on. Verse 24, now when the captains of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about what, about them to what would come of this. But someone came and poured to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that, that they might be stoned. Now, it's kind of funny because then they're like, hey, where did they go? And then, and then one of the guys, hey, it's, they're right there. They're, those, those guys that we locked up, they're right, they're staying right there doing preaching and teaching in the temple. And then they, like, they brought them in in, in a more political and tactful way because they, they knew the impact, the positive impact that the apostles and, and disciples had in that area. And they didn't want uh, to be killed for it. So they're like, okay, uh, let's just bring them back and not um, harm them. Verse 27. When they brought them, they stood. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, "We give you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on uh, blood upon it." See again the idea of being filled. So, people filled with jealousy. The Jews, uh, apostle filled with the Holy Spirit. That Jerusalem were filled with God's teaching. And, um, you know, again, and then and then I saw I was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of, like, a lot of things that are being filled in this book here. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are also witness of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has chosen to those who obey Him. Notice there's this uh, strict order that the apostle that the that the, uh, that the Jews gave them. They gave them strict orders, and they did not want to. And then the apostles responds that we don't obey you; we obey God. We, God's orders. 
we obey God's strict order in telling us to go and evangelize to the end of the earth. Now I know in our day and age, because of things like COVID, it's harder to do types of uh, evangelism, which is why I'm always encouraging you to find ways to build a relationship where it is safe. So, you know, things like your neighborhood, people that can see you regularly and they know that you're not sick or anything like that, or even loved ones. That's the only way that the gospel is going to grow, that we're mindful of where we are and we're willing to go and share the gospel with people. Don't let the excuse of a, some sort of pandemic um, be a reason why the gospel is not going to be spread. The gospel will spread even if coronavirus spreads all over the earth. Uh, we're called to make, so you know, if that is a phone call, go for it. If it's in person, go for it. If it's in open air, go for it. If it's in the uh, field somewhere in a park and you're just walking around and so you just happen to bump into someone, share the gospel with someone. The one that should command and dictate you is not some sort of government mandate to go and, and um, not talk to people or have some sort of social distance. I understand the fear, but what you should fear more than government's punishment for you for, for, go, for talking, sharing the gospel is how God views you when you don't share the gospel. Um, again, I'm not saying for you to be reckless. I mean, I'm saying that we have, under the authority of God, to go and share the gospel to the ends of the earth, whatever context that would be. Uh, the government cannot stop us. And again, even then, if we look at our context here in the U.S., the punishment here is not nearly as, as, as extreme as places all over the world that, you know, that threaten to kill you if you, if you choose to share the gospel um, to anyone. So for us, we should see this time that we have, this window of opportunity as a privilege to go and make the disciples as, as best as possible. Verse 33, But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Uh, but but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all people, stood up in the council and gave them orders to put the men outside for a short time. Now this is like kind of like the big bosses here, and Gamaliel is is it should be familiar to us because we know that in the gospel, in the epistles later that Paul is is actually trained under this individual, and and Gamaliel is, is such a great. Pharisee or well-respected than all the Jews. Whatever sector you are in, even though the sects might disagree with one another, they all at least respected Gamaliel. Yes, and he stood and he gave the, and told the apostles to stand outside and he, and he spoke to them. Verse 35, he said to the men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And this man, after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay from, stay away from these men. Let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Now here, Gamaliel. He isn't a Christian. He isn't a follower of God. But even he has says, can say something wise. Uh, there's a saying that a clock, a broken clock is at least right twice a day. Unless you have those 24-hour clocks, then it's like only once a day. Um, but you get the idea that sometimes even the wisest and right true sayings are from people who do not believe in the Lord. And that's what's going on here. Gamaliel doesn't actually worship the Lord. He's just saying that he's just a, prag a pragmatist. He's just looking at it, all the situations. That, Look, if God is really the one behind this, then um, then you know there's nothing you can do to stop him. If he's not, then God will just let it uh, will just let it die. Of course, the irony of all this is that eventually these Jewish sect will eventually be destroyed, and the Jews now today still don't believe, but the Christians, the church is still around. Um, 
Now, even though this is a wise saying, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are believers. And that's what's hard about nowadays in our, uh, when we're dealing with cults, particularly Christian cults. I've, dealt, I've talked to Christian cults that are from other countries that try to convert me, and they will always say, well, their, their number one argument is that they know that this is true. They know that their false teaching is true because of how many numbers have increased over time. I remember there was one particular cult that I talked to, and they said, like, look, in the last five years, our numbers increased by the millions. First of all, I don't even know how they can even verify this. But second, like, that's not even true because we know that the fastest growing religious group in all the world is Islam. And the only reason why they're growing is because of person, because they're forcing people to profess uh, the Quran and Allah and everything like that. Um, so even statistically, that's not true. Uh, uh, that's not accurate. But yet, people would try to use that as a reason for why you need to believe them. Because see, clearly, God is on their side. But again, this is a wrongful way of thinking because Jesus said that the wide road is what leads to destruction, not the narrow path. The narrow path to heaven, the narrow path to the Father, is, is, is going to be occupied by very few people. So just because a mass multitude of people are following some sort of movement, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's because God is blessing it. And that should be encouragement for all of us when we look at our church, we look at the ministry we're part of. Don't think of success as having a lot of people involved in it. Think of success as just you being faithful to whatever task he's given you. Don't assume that just because more people show for this event or that event or not that many people show for this or that, that, that you dictate success based on that. That's a very poor uh, metric of success. Uh, the only metric of success is only if we're faithful to the Lord, which is what happens here. Verse 40, so these Jews took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus then released them. Again, flogging back then, it's not like, you know, like a slap on the wrist. So they, it was slap on the wrist with, before with John and, uh, I mean, yeah, with John and Peter. But now flogging is like physical beating. Like this is using the cat of, the tail of, the, the cat of nine tails, like this whip that they would use. And it had like shards of glass and, 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 and broken clay attached to it at the end of it. And then when you whip them, you pull it, their skin would tear off. So that's what they did to these apostles. And in fact, the Gamaliel didn't really respond to that. He's just like, yeah, you could beat them. And if God wants to keep them, then, you know, they'll, they'll live. If not, then whatever, then this sect will just fall away. Uh, it shows that he doesn't, he's not as spiritual, even though he's respected by spiritual leaders at the time. Verse 41, so they went on their way, they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Persecution showed the apostles of the Holy Spirit was truly in them and dwelling in them and working through them and even sustaining them during a time of great suffering. Verse 42, And every day in the temple and from the house to house they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And that's where we need to be. We want to be people that are so devoted to the Lord uh, that we want to uh, honor Him by by obeying him, by, 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 by telling people about Jesus Christ, regardless of how much persecution there are in this world. And I know in our day, things get harder from different points of view, whether it is certain religious cults, whether it's some sort of um, you know, government mandate, or even when social people say that what we say may be hate speech, we have to tune all of those things out and really just hear from God for how we need to be faithful and declaring the good news of salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the privilege that we have as Christians. And I hope that we would continue to pray to the Lord for opportunities to win people to Christ 
by asking the Lord to indwell in us with the Holy Spirit, to walk closely with Him, and to preach boldly to the ends of the earth. Thanks for listening. Take care, and have a great day. Thank you.